Well, today, uh, God's Word brings us to a matter that I think we as Jesus followers desperately need to hear. Um, It's almost a sacred moment for me. There are certain things that the Bible keeps telling us that have a potential power, perhaps more than almost anything else, uh, to get in the way of our spiritual lives and calls upon us to listen to it and to respond to it. And today is one of those texts. So I'll just ask you, do you ever think that maybe material things might be too important to you? Do you ever become concerned that maybe a longing for material success might sometimes get in the way of full obedience to God? Uh, Pastor James of the First Church of Jerusalem knew this was a danger for his people. He was concerned about it and he wrote about it in language that's perhaps the strongest that we find in the entire New Testament. And I think that because what he wrote to them about is something we so desperately need to hear about today, I want us to listen more carefully even than we usually do. Um, So, I want you to listen to how fervently James talks about money and possessions in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And since this is uh, the word of our uh, maker, the lover of our souls, and the one who uh, wants to do marvelous things in and through us, let us stand for the reading of his word. James chapter 5, we'll begin with verse 1. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire you have hoarded wealth in the last days look the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty you have lived on earth in luxury And self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. And this is the word of God. God. Really? (laughs) Let me begin by making one thing really clear. In in speaking so strongly, uh, James is not saying that uh, being in business, uh, making money is in and of itself evil. So if you're in in those situations, he's not saying necessarily that you're going to go to hell. Aren't you glad to hear about that? In fact, in in last week's uh, text, uh, James 4, 13 to 17, he talked about making money. And the thing you need to see there is even though he warned us about it, he didn't tell us that doing that was immoral or wrong. So the question is, what's going on here? When Pastor James looks at his people and for the second time uses this very straight, uh, strong opening, now listen, you who say. Uh, people who probably heard him preach often, he was afraid that they wouldn't listen to him. And the way that I read this is that I see it 
as a caring pastor warning, warning strongly his people. And I, I think it's one you and I need to hear. So what's the warning? Now, as always, uh, visitors, you, you haven't had a chance to see this, but James doesn't mince words about his topics, right? He goes right at the heart of the matter. And here he is adamant, I'll tell you, astonishingly adamant about the power that material possessions have to take over our human hearts. What he's telling us is that there are many things that can come into our hearts and into our lives, but maybe one of the things we have to be aware of most is that the longing for money, the longing for more material possessions can capture our desires in such a way that it will tempt us to give up our values and do things we would otherwise never imagine that we would do. It has the power to make us change our priorities and, and live for material things instead of spending time in our marriages and devoting our time to our children, being involved in the work of God, in so many different things. Uh, I, I've often used this phrase, but I, I think it really applies here, that possessions have the power to possess the possessor. Well, we think we possess them and then begin to see that wanting to have them begins to possess us. Now, I, I want to say this, that Pastor James's warning doesn't just apply to those who are materially successful. I, I think it's a message that each one of us needs to hear because sometimes it's the longing for that. As, as one man told me walking out, he said, it doesn't take much money to love it. I thought that was a pretty powerful statement that he gave, that he gave to me. Um, and in this, we can see that happening. The desire for things will make us in our society go and get a couple of credit cards. And we, we, we get ourselves into such debt that we'll, we can almost never get out of it. Or if we don't have anything, we, we start thinking, if only I had more, then surely life would be so much better. And so James's warnings, I think, come to each one of us who gathers here today. And pastorally, I, I've seen this text coming. I, I have seen this thing coming since I turned to James chapter 1. I wanted to give it to Pastor Jeff to preach about, but, but I had to take it. And, uh, and, and we look at it, and as I prayed diligently, Lord, what would you have us to hear? Here is what I feel like the Lord has led me to. How can you and I discern when money and material things are becoming a problem for our lives with God? How will you know when it is gaining a foothold in your life that will pull you away from the Lord? And I think James's words, as strong as they are, give us some very, very clear guidance. Ready to listen? We're in this series on examining our ways. So I want each one of us to listen carefully and examine our ways in the light of what James has to say. So how can I know I might be in trouble? Number one, you, you know you're in trouble materially when you find yourself thinking that you need more. Amen. We live in a consumerist society and it just makes us think that if I don't have this and the new one and everything, then, I, then you can't be happy. It leaves us in this constant state of dissatisfaction. And when you find yourself always thinking, I, I need more, you're probably in trouble. Look how he puts it in verse 3. You have hoarded wealth. In these last days, that phrase, hoarded wealth, is a very important phrase. It's a verbal picture that James is trying to paint for us about a person who's always having to accumulate more things. I saw an article in the news just this week about this now becoming a new syndrome. The accumulation of things syndrome. Anything in our world can become a syndrome. 
And so he writes about just having to accumulate clothing or, or accumulate coins that you aren't really using. So I get a picture of a person that if you go and visit and you open up the closet, there are hundreds of suits or hundreds of dresses, maybe thousands of pairs of shoes, and many of them are hardly ever worn. In fact, sometimes you can look and you see the tags are still and they're not, they're not worn at all. It, it, it's like a material thing that is there, but that suddenly has taken over you. And you need something more because that one is now a couple of months old. It, it's about a person who has some money in the bank that you never really think about. How can that temporary thing be used for eternal things? See, this, this always thinking, I, I need that. I, I need more in order to be happy. Um, I was directed to a song that's been the number one song in the United Kingdom this year and, and in some of the countries in Europe. And it's written by a man named Sam Smith. He had signed a huge um, recording contract. So suddenly he had a lot of money. But in the song, he wanted to make sure that, that we know that he doesn't love money. He loves music. He loves making music. So he doesn't think about any money. Well, the, his song, which I think is a lot like James's letter, I have a little clip of it for you. Listen to it. When I saw my deal, I found pressure Don't wanna see the numbers, I wanna see heaven You say could you write a song for me I say I'm sorry about you that I believe When I go home, I tend to close the door I never want to know I don't have money on my mind, money on my mind. I do it for, I do it for the song. I don't have money on my mind, money on my mind. I do it for, I do it for the love. I do it for the love. I do it for the love. Oh man, oh man. So I know what's going to happen as you leave church. All of you are going to be singing, I don't have money on my mind, money on my It's just so brilliant, this earworm running through your minds. I don't have that on my mind. I don't have, I do all this for the love. And in this way, it's the very same kind of thing that James is getting us to think about. Heaven is on my mind. God is on my mind. My, my friends, my family are on my mind. I don't have money on my mind, but that's on, that's on my mind. It just runs through our lives and consumes us. And I think we know how this works. I've been to so many folks' homes where they still have um, on the wall the first dollar that they ever earned. And then after the first dollar, of course, maybe even you have something about the first thousand that you earn. And I know that there's sometimes people who then really celebrate the first million that you earn. And because there's such a small percentage of people who make a million, let me just tell you this, because the former job that I had gave me many opportunities to be with people who, who have made that and much more. Once you have a million, you're always surrounded by friends who have multi-millions. And once you have multi-millions, you have friends who are billionaires. And, and you always keep thinking, you know, if I could only get to that next level, then boy, you would see how generous I would be. I don't have money on my mind. If I could only get to that Next level, pastor, you know that building that you're building for our children. I could fund that. If God would get me up there, then I could fund that whole thing. You wouldn't even have to talk about it. You, you see how this is? 
Always more, always more. Yeah, John D. Rockefeller, some of you remember him, at one time the wealthiest man in the world. One time a reporter asked him, uh, when you have everything like you do, what could you possibly want for Christmas? And perhaps some of you know his answer. Just a little bit more. Always a little bit more. So brothers and sisters, this is the first place that you need to examine your heart. Are you thankful for what God has given you? For what you now have, do you think, Lord, how would you have me use that for your kingdom? Or do you keep thinking, if I only had a bit more then? When you think like that, beware. Number two, when material things start to get a foothold in your life, you become oblivious to the impact that your success or your prosperity has on others. You don't think about that this is a stewardship to further God's grace, God's kindness, God's goodness. Instead, it, the decision is made for other reasons, just for business reasons. Look at how James puts it in verse 4. Look, he said, the wages you failed to pay your workers, the ones who mowed your fields, those are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. What James is writing about is this, how a person's own career success can lead to others, especially those who work for him or her, being harmed by the decisions that that person makes. Now, I, I want to say this. I think we all know, I hope you know, that there is no necessary uh, relationship between a person getting to be the boss of a firm, the head of a firm, or, or to make decisions that affect those they supervise. There's no necessary relationship between that and exploiting those under our care. But I am saying this, that James was looking out into his world, and he saw it happening. Uh, uh, you know that James's people had been there in Jerusalem, and so persecution had driven them out of the city. So these people to whom he wrote this letter were people who were out trying to make their ways in other cities and they were trying to find work in those places and he saw, I'm sure, many of his people who were there and who the decisions that those who owned the businesses were terrible, having a terrible effect upon their lives. And it seems pretty clear to me that some people who were coming to Jesus and coming into the church were people who themselves were quite successful in their businesses. And he wanted them to live different kinds of lives. Now, when he, he has this phrase, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. What he's doing there is citing two texts in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 24 and Leviticus 19. And this is when Moses was giving the laws for how the theocracy, the nation under God, how Israel was to treat the people who worked there. And one of the things, if you look at those texts, one of the things he said was this, in their society... Each day that a worker would work the field, the employer, the owner of the field, had to pay that person each day. So he said, don't withhold those payments until a later date, because especially those who need them, uh, need that payment right now. Don't wait till a later date. Now, I'll tell you, that kind of law might seem strange to us in our society. We live in a different economic society. But I want you to think about it. There is great compassion in that kind of a law. See, that, that kind of a law provided for compassion and justice to come to those who were poor. And, and many of us can understand this. I'll, I'll ask you, have, have you ever had a time when you were at the very end of your financial resources? 
And maybe many of us are already there right now. So you can apply it to your life this very, very moment. But many of us can remember that time. And perhaps you are able to find some work. You know that in those moments how important this kind of law might have been to you. I'll tell you, when you're living in that hand-to-mouth existence, you can't afford to wait a week or two weeks or a month for your wages to come. I mean, you, you could be evicted from your apartment before then, right? You could have your heat shut off by then. Your kids could starve by then. This law was a wonderful law that God directed for his, for his people to have there in Israel. Now, we live in a different system, and I'm not saying that those of us who are employers uh, should, should do this exactly the same way, but statistics are telling us that here in our own state of California, since 2007, there have been growing numbers of people in our state, and I'm sure in our city, who have very few financial resources coming in and almost no resources, no savings to draw upon. So, so you can imagine it. it if after being unemployed for a while you're told you don't get paid here for another month, do you, do you see how hard that would be? One of the hardest places in our society is when a person who doesn't have very much is trying to find a place to live. Uh, and then when you go to try to even rent an apartment, you, you've got to leave this, leave this security deposit plus often two months rent before you can have that place. Do you see how hard that is for those who are poor? Now, what James, I think, is saying to us, if I would apply it to our world, is, is this. If you are a follower of Jesus and you are involved in any place where your uh, work gives you the opportunity to make decisions that affect other people under you, then I urge you, uh, in the name of God's word, to think about how the decisions that you will make affect other people in your business. I mean, James is just making this point about how what I call thoughtless employers, I mean thoughtless about people, but only thinking about furthering business, how thoughtless employers were just almost killing other people. So here's the point. Um, what you do uh, with your business or with your authority position may be legal, and God asks us to work within the laws, but he asks us to do more than just the legal as his children. And the way you do business may be common practice. And it may even be cost effective. But I'll tell you, God tells us to go beyond thinking just about what others do, what common practice is, and what is cost effective. He asks us to have his eyes and his heart for people. And he gives us many times, it's a gift from God, a blessing of being in a place that our words and our actions affect those who are around us. God sends us as his people out into the marketplace and he asks us to live distinctively there. And by that, to represent his love for people. And I just urge you that if you're in that kind of position where you have the authority to make a difference in how people are treated, then I urge you to use that authority not just to make money, but to bring blessing to those affected by your decisions. We always say the real worship goes, happens when you leave church. Well, what is that worship like? Well, sometimes it's witnessing to salvation only through the name of Jesus. But sometimes it is by showing the ways of God through the way we live. And I'm telling you, this is one of them. 
Uh, I'm sure there are many ways to do this, but I tell you, James also says God notices what happens through our decisions. That's why he says the wages you fail to pay the workmen who work for you are crying out against you. And verse 6, if you look at it, is even stronger. What you have done is condemned and murdered the innocent ones. I don't know if their actions had actually led to, to some sort of homicide, but what he's really saying is your actions have robbed them of hope have stolen their lives from them. You could have used the place where I sent you, God says, to bring my blessing to the world and you have used it only for yourself. And even though we live in a very different world in our democracy and with free enterprise, I think that the effects he saw in his world we see in our world as well. So I have to say this. Here it is. When you and I are blessed with the kind of positions, and I'm in one of those two, that give us a voice in making the kinds of decisions that affect the lives of others. Pray that God would give you a heart and eyes, his heart, his eyes, uh, for those who are in distress. That's a consistent message of James. And, And when you stop thinking day by day, how does what I am deciding affect other people, then beware. We are sent ones sent to bring the glory and the blessing of God to the people of our world. Third, you can know that you might be in trouble, that material things are getting a, a, a foothold in your life, when you cease to be productive each day and you live mostly just for pleasure. Oh, brother, I'm going to meddle now. Verse 5, he says, You have lived on earth in luxury, and self-indulgence. Now, I have preached a number of times in my seven years here about when we first meet God, we see Him working. He is making things. And even after He's created the world, Genesis 2, what do we see Him doing? We see God digging down into the dirt to create the woman who would be the helpmeet to Adam. Do you remember that? And Tim Keller says about this, we have the God, the God who gets His fingernails dirty. I, I just love it. And then he makes us in his image. And and by making us in his image, specifically, he tells us, he gives us the opportunity to work, to be productive, to rule over things, to care for things. We're made in God's image every day of our lives. One of our privileges is your life and my life can make a difference in this world. One of the temptations, and, and our society pushes us in this direction, one of the temptations of becoming affluent is that we no longer think about we have to be affluent, uh, have to be productive. We almost think, well, if I'm really successful, then I'll have to be productive anymore. I, I, I can just play all the time. I'm, I'm not against playing. Uh, now, I know on one side, uh, when people are successful at work, sometimes work takes over their lives and work becomes their God. Workaholism is a reality of many. And work is a terrible taskmaster and an even rottener God. Just, just write that down. But James is taking on another thing that can happen. He saw it, I'm sure you can see it too, that successful people can often become lazy and self-indulgent and then begin to live on what others are accomplishing. So here, let's put ourselves back into the setting of James. Uh, The world that he was in, there were just usually a few families that had become the landowners, almost a monopoly on all of the land. 
Uh, and so what happened is a few people owned the land. And because there were so many workers, uh, wages were very low. But you can see what happens if you're the uh, owner and you have a lot, then you don't have to go out and work the field anymore. You have somebody else to go and till the field. You have somebody else to go and clean up. And if you become more successful, you can pull back a little bit more. You can even get somebody to supervise the people who are doing that. And if you become even more successful, you can get people who will supervise those who supervise those. And so what does that leave us with? Oh, I, I can just live in idle luxury. What am I going to do today? I'll, I'll play a little golf. I'll drink a little gin. Sail in my yacht. But life, our, every day of your life is a gift. It's a stewardship given from God so that your life can make a difference in the lives of other people. And if we pull back and only live for relaxation and, and luxury, we're not going to produce anything of lasting value. And God says that kind of living is empty. Now, you've got to listen to me carefully. I don't want to overstate this. The Bible nowhere suggests that it's wrong for one person to be wealthier than another. It nowhere suggests that there are not times to take vacations, times of renewal and, and, and restoration. But I tell you, it does speak against our success as being an excuse for us not day by day making a contribution to this world that God has put us in. There's a reason why he has you to be alive today. And that's to bring glory to his name. And when you and I become among those who are the blessed financially, you and I become stewards of that blessing. And, and what I, I, bottom line, what that means is we've got to consciously think, how can my life today bring glory to God, show my love of God, and out of that show my love to people made in the image of God, the two great commandments. And, and you know the fourth commandment. We often think about it, take one day to rest. But there are two parts to the command. Six days you shall labor and get it all done. Identify the work God has given you to do. Get it done in six days. One day stop. This beautiful rhythm of six days of work and one day off that, that just sets us free really to live. I think sometimes if we get to be too successful, we, we think, well, maybe I'll, I'll work one day and take the other six days off. I'll, I'll tell you, I think this is something... Many Christians in America need to think about, and especially those of you who might be recently retired, the, the question that God would have us to ask six out of every seven days of our lives is not just, how can I relax and enjoy myself? The question he wants us to ask is, how can my life be used today, Lord, to show this world my love for you and to love my neighbor as myself? Now, when you put this all together, are you beginning to see why I feel that this is a sacred moment for us here in Southern California? James is just wanting us to see that of all the things that, that can rob us of the joy of walking with God and depending upon God, this is the one that might be the most subtle in coming into our lives It's clear to me that James could hardly imagine people becoming very successful and then using that in ways that bless other people. But I know it can happen because I've seen it happen. And I know our lives can be different because I know the transforming power of God's Holy Spirit 
So I want to give you just three. You can tell I've prayerfully thought about how do, how do, how do we change what our world tries to shape us into its mold. It, the whole world tries to shape you and me into becoming materialists. It really does. So how are we going to be different? Okay, I'm going to give you just three uh, directives. Number one, I want you to remember. And each time it's remember. Because the Bible says it begins with our minds. Remember what? James will say in verse 3, remember that material things perish. He says your gold and silver are corroded. The word is rusted in verse 3. It's ironic, isn't it? Because, you know, silver and gold don't rust. Not in, not in earth's atmosphere. I love the way he puts this thing. He's saying, but in eternal atmosphere they do. In eternal atmosphere they don't last. Um, what, what do you think the exchange rate for a dollar is in heaven? And, and even the satisfaction that material things bring in and of themselves, even that is limited. Even that is limited. Remember that. And maybe God can entrust to us possessions that further his kingdom in a way that they don't ensnare our hearts. Two, remember. Remember to think of how your work, your wealth, your decisions impact the people around you. This point is so important, I'm making it twice in the sermon, right? <laughs> because I think this is something just we don't do enough. God calls us to remember that. All right, if I, if I do this, how will this affect my marriage? How will this affect my children? How will this affect my associates and especially the employees that I have? Do you remember last week I pointed out this word, remember, do not forget, is of great importance in the Bible. When you remember someone, what you do is you let that remembrance of that someone shape your actions toward them. You know, the treasure of heaven consists of people. People don't rust. No, no amens about... People don't rust. We're made for... it. You and I are made for eternity. So those temporary things can be used to bring blessing and benefit to people and people last. I mean, that's a part of what we're trying to do in, in this building. I know it's just a building, but what we see are families and children and, and discipleship that is going there and temporary things and even a temporary building being used for eternal things. Uh, let us remember that. And I think that our, our possessions really could be used to further God's kingdom instead of just for what James calls self-indulgence. And then third... Remember that God's judgment is coming. You have hoarded wealth in these last days. That's how the Bible refers to the world that we're living in now. That the material things that people put at their hearts, they're not going to last forever. A part of what this means is in these days we live in, materialistic values are going to come to an end. And the eternal judge, God himself, who's given us this word for this Sunday... Uh, we're going to stand before him and he'll say, um, have you been faithful? How have you utilized the life and the blessings that I've given you? Uh, think about that. Remember that each day. Uh, could it be that in the last days, those that we have failed to even acknowledge will rise up in the judgment and say that person never thought about those who were around us? And that, I think that's why he used that phrase, weep and wail. 
Because of the mystery, misery that will come upon you. So God holds us accountable for the lives that we live. We need to remember this because I, I've come to conviction that we here in the American church have cloaked materialism in an aura of respectability and have almost made it something that is the evidence of God's blessing. And then I read the words of Jesus and see how he clearly uh, judges and forbade laying up treasure on earth, hoarding things, living for things, just as much as he did things like murder and stealing and adultery. Now, um, as serious as those words are, mine are not nearly as serious as James's word, do you think? And there's a reason for that. As your senior pastor, I am so encouraged by what I see God doing, the Spirit of God doing in the hearts of many of us. Um, you know, with the, this Maple Street project, I've seen some of our children want to take what little bit they have and make sure that some of that is used to further God's work. And I think some good things are happening in that family. <laughs> so that's why I want to get up here and have, a, have some hope for us, not just the way James went after it. Uh, I've seen it when, when we were working with Door of Hope. I've seen it when families took their, their, their day away and all together were over here working on behalf of the homeless at Day of, of Door of Hope. That's so encouraging. I've seen a growing movement uh, among us as a church where people are taking their vacations and going to Cambodia or to Thailand and together as a family to serve, to serve God or, or going into the inner city. When I see that happen, I, I want to say, Lord, keep doing it. Do more. And I want to say to you where that's happening in your heart, open it up even more to God and see what he might do. But even though I am encouraged by that, I believe you and I are as vulnerable to materialism as James's people were. Do you think so? Do you see how vulnerable we are? So we must listen carefully to his words. And I just pray, even though it will apply to each one, because we're in different situations in our lives, it will apply to each one of us in different ways. I, I want you to let the Spirit of God use this word from James to work in your hearts. And I want to leave you with a poem that my son Brandon sent to me when he heard what I was preaching about. It's from an African-American poet named Marilyn Nelson Waniak. I'll show it to you. It's a prayer. It's called Incomplete Renunciation. Please, let me have a ten-room house adjacent to campus. Six bedrooms, two and a half baths, formal dining room, fireplace, family room, screened porch, two-car garage, well-maintained, and let it all pass through the eye of a needle. To his glory. Amen. Let me lead us in prayer, and then I'm going to call my brother, uh, Jeff Matisich, and and Linda Neuenberg up. Uh, let's pray. Father, as always, I pray I've been faithful to your word. I sometimes don't feel that I have that directness in me that I see in James. So I pray that you would do more than my human giftedness could ever facilitate. Take this word so that we can be set free 
from the bondage of materialism and free to be able to be blessed by you to use whatever you've given us for your kingdom and for your glory. Father, where there are, there's repentance that we need to engage in about this, we repent on behalf of all of us. Father, where we have put possessions into your place and valued them more than people forgive us, set us free so that we might live in ways that people watch us and see the difference you are making. Be drawn to you. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.